Glory to God. Come on. Can somebody say amen? amen. Come on. One more time. Amen. All right, I lied. One more time. Amen. There we go. Glory, glory, glory. Woo! Man, let me tell you, I love mud puddles. I love mud puddles. It hasn't worn off. When I was a kid, I used to jump in them. There's a story of my brother. My, my mom bought my brother a pair of white pants for Easter. White pants. I never wore white pants, and it's because of my brother. White pants for Easter, and we were headed out the door Easter Sunday, and mom was a little bit behind. She was in the house locking everything up or something, and my brother goes out Easter Sunday morning with his white pants, and he goes and he jumps in a mud puddle. And I never got to wear white pants because of my brother jumping in a mud puddle with his white pants. <laughs> oh, my Lord. No, I'm not salty at all. I don't know that white pants look good on me. There is so much going on here today. The, the Lord is so good. You know, every knee shall bow. And I said this I'm in the moment, and it's, it's 100% true. Um, and it took me, I, for years I didn't understand, um, so I, I want to just share with you. It says every, when, it says that when Jesus returns, it says every knee will bow. And I never really understood. I'm like, isn't every knee shall bow? Isn't the bowing of the knee, isn't that like a symbol of like showing that you honor and respect and give glory to God? And the, so there's always this little bit of confusion there for me in, in understanding the scripture until a friend of mine, excuse me, had an experience that he told me about, and then it all made sense. He talked about being in a service in South America with around two to 3,000 people, and this person walked through the back door that he never saw, but he could feel him from the moment that he entered the door, and he was about halfway up. And as soon as Jesus walked in the room from the back to a front in a giant wave, every single person in the room fell to the floor now, my friend is not a, 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 a man that would give you a courtesy fall if you were praying for him. He's not going to fall down when you're praying for him so that you feel good as the minister praying for him. He's going to stand there, and you better have the Holy Spirit if, you're gonna, if he's going to go down. But when Jesus walked into the room, it wasn't optional. It was not optional. The presence of Jesus forced 3,000 people on their face. And my friend who won't do a courtesy fall couldn't pick his face, just couldn't pick his face up off the floor enough to just barely catch a glimpse of Jesus as he walked out the room. Every knee shall bow. Every knee will bow. This is Jesus. This is God. This is who he is. But because of his great love for us, he came and he lived among us and he dwelt among us and he endured the cross for you and for me. This is who he is. Wow. Whew. Pastor Stacy was sharing about the angels in heaven. The angels in heaven who behold the face of God for 10,000 times 10,000 years in the past. Still to this day, when the angel, when, when, they, when they sing, holy, 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 they all fall down and worship. 
They all fall down. It's been 10,000 years, guys. We have no clue. We can't, we can't quantify that. It's, trying to, it's like trying to quantify billion or million. We just can't do it. We don't, it doesn't make sense to us. A million seconds is three days. A billion seconds is 11 years. A trillion seconds is 31.6 years. What? Quantify. 10,000 years. We don't even know. We live for 60, 70, 80 years. My phone keeps shutting down. There's notes here. The scripture tells, the scripture tells us that we have been given insight into the things that angels desire to look into. Oh, this, is, this is the privilege that we've been entered into. And we take it complacently, flippantly, we're like, yeah, whatever. No! Come on. You know, I, I, know I, I know I can get carried away, but I'm not. And I'm, I'm going to talk to you about why. I, I do have a message today. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> God help me. He is. This is God's help. You're all in trouble. So I'm just telling you right now. You're all in trouble. But you're welcome. There's a, there's a saying that, uh, I, let me see if I can find it real quick, real, real quick. It was right here a minute ago. Well, yesterday. Come on. Nope, not going to find it. It says, most of us don't need to know, most of us, it says most of us already know what God is called us to do or asked us to do we just lack the discipline to do it just do it god wants us to worship just worship i'm a worshiper at heart i'm going to get there in a minute before i go there i want to talk about the engage groups these are very important uh I, my desire is that every person who calls redeeming love home you believe that this is your church i want you in an engage group this semester like at other semesters, it's not as important. This semester, it's important. I believe that God has instructed us that this is the book that we are to do as a church. There is something that we as a church lack, and this book has the answer. If you're part of this church, you lack it. Actually, there's a few of us here that will remain nameless, but it's not you, I'm promising you, that don't need this book. The people that actually don't need this book are the first ones to sign up for the group. So if you think you don't need the, need the book, sign up for the group because that's how you know that you don't need it if you're the first one to sign up for it. We all need this book. We all need to learn what it means to just walk across the room. So here's what's going to happen. Next Sunday, we're kicking off the Just Walk Across the Room sermon series. We're also kicking off the Just Walk Across the Room small groups. So you're going to come next Sunday, and I'm going to talk about Just Walk Across the Room and then you're going to read chapter one out of Just Walk Across the Room. And then you're going to go to your small group. And then we're going to do the discussion questions at the end of the chapter together in small group. So that we can learn how to just walk across the room. The heart of this book is about God's heart for the unsaved. The heart of this book, uh, the, the, the premise of this book is God's heart for the unsaved. God loves the unsaved. God died for the unsaved. 
God left heaven and came and lived in the poverty of humanity for people that don't know him to come to a point of relationship with him. Jesus died for them. And there's people in the church who don't even want to invite him to church. They're like, I don't want to get around those. Jesus died for them. He died for them. If you don't have a heart for them, this is one of our core values. God loves unsaved people. We love unsaved people. We need to equip ourselves on how to share the gospel, on how to get somebody into a relationship with Christ. This is, this is very, very important to God. It's become less important to us as a church, and we seek to make it more important. This is something that's hugely important to God. I pray that every person in this room, what I said before about we lack the discipline to do um, what God's already called us to do, I wasn't talking about this, but it applies. I was actually talking about worship. <sighs> small group, check it out. We've got small groups on Monday, 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 Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Friday, and Friday. All throughout the week, every night of the week. Sometimes they're in the daytime. They're in all different locations. We've got some out this way. We've got some here. We've got some um, over that away. And we got a few down here. Check the addresses. Sign up for an age group. You're going to love it. You're going to be transformed. And God's will will be accomplished in Troy, New York because of what we've done here today and what we'll do over the next couple of weeks through Engage Group. This is the will of God. We, I don't bring things haphazardly. Nothing that I do as a pastor is, is accidental. It's all on purpose. We've planned this out. I wanted to do this small group last year. It was actually scheduled. It was on the calendar to do it last year, and that didn't happen. We held it off, and we're doing it this year. All right. Glory to God. Hey, welcome to Back to Church Sunday. We're so, I'm so glad to see so many new faces in the house today. Before I get into my message, I have to talk about 2 Samuel chapter 6. See, I'm a worshiper. And you may have seen in worship, if you were worshiping with your eyes open, I, I get a little carried away during worship. I tend to jump and dance and twirl and whirl about and I... I I do all of this dancing, and I don't do it for you. I do it for the Lord. It's, it's, a, sacrifice, it's a sacrifice of praise that I bring. Um, th through much condemnation, I learned to worship like this and not be worried at all about what anybody might think about me jumping or twirling or sweating or any of the above that happened while we do that. So I just want to reiterate that I don't worship for you. I worship for him. But there's an invitation for all of you to enter into the worship with which I worship because this is God's heart. It's not that the externals are indicative of our heart position, but if our heart position is correct, we're going to have external things. When our heart is, is right and when our, our heart is in a position to worship the Lord, we're going to lift our hands. We're going to sing. We're going to respond. We're going to make motion as long as we're not restricting ourselves and say, I can't do that. Stop telling yourself that you can't do that and just do it. <laughs> 
Second Samuel chapter six is where they bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. See, David had this personal relationship with the Lord that we don't see in very few other people throughout all of the Old Testament. He had this wildly intimate relationship with God. So Samuel shows up to David. I'm doing some back history here before I jump into 2 Samuel chapter 6. David shows up, Samuel shows up to Jesse's house to anoint one of Jesse's sons, and they call David in from the field, and, David, and Samuel anoints David king over Jerusalem. But it would be estimated between 14 and 20 years before David actually took the throne. And so a portion of that time he was blessed. A portion of that time he served under the previous king. A portion of that time he ran for his life and he was hunted like an animal by 4,000, is it 4,000, 2,000? Trained mercenaries. 2,000 Navy SEALs, the best of the best. Saul, King Saul said, go get David to his best. And for years, David was hunted. They sought his life, and they couldn't kill him because God protected him. David comes. David, uh, Saul dies. David goes to Hebron. He rules over Hebron for seven years. This is all in the Bible. Just read it, First uh, and Second Samuel. It's good reading. I'll throw stuff out like that because I love reading chapters and getting the history and rereading it again because there's something new that you discover every time. He rules in Hebron for seven years, and then... Uh, and while uh, Saul's other son was reigning up in Jerusalem, and so then Saul's other son was killed or died or something, and then David comes, and they say, you come, and you reign over all of Israel. And says, so David says, okay. So David does three things. Number one, David had the wisdom to say, I don't want to rule here, and I don't want to rule there. I'm going to rule in a new place. We're going to go, and we're going to take the city of Jebus, and I'm going to make it Jerusalem, and this is where I'm going to set up my throne. So he does that. His mighty men go. They take over the throne. Number two, the, the Philistines were like, hey, new king in town, let's attack. David goes, and he defeats the Philistines in this first battle. The third thing he did, we'll catch up in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 1. And it says, and again, David, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000 soldiers. Get the soldiers together, guys. We got the most important task next. And David arose and went with all the people who were from Baal, Judah, to bring up the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. <laughs> David becomes king. He takes care of a few things, a few incidentals, if you will. Well, we're going to set up a, a throne in a new place, and I'm going to get rid of these people that have been annoying us for a bit. We're going to take care of them. But there's one thing that I really want to do, and it's the first thing that God told me I should do, and it's the first thing that I got to do as king so that our throne will be established and this kingdom will go. What's the one thing? Get the 30,000 armed men. This is of, a, of the most importance. We're going to go, and we're going to get the ark of God which hasn't been called upon in years and years and years, and we're going to bring it back to Jerusalem. So they try it. Read the story. I'm going to skip over it. They try it. They do it wrong. David's friend dies. They stop. Three months later, they're like, hey, where we left that ark, you know, that house is being really, really blessed. And so then David's like, oh, I know that God wants me to do this. So they go back out. David had done a little bit of reading. He did a little bit of research. He did a little bit of Google search. 
said, oh, we did it wrong. We did it wrong. So they go back. They do it right. They bring the ark of God. They're carrying it, and they carry it into the city of Jerusalem. In verse 13, and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone, oh, had gone six paces, that he sacrificed oxen and fattened sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might. When was the last time that you've ever danced with all of your might? Don't dance, don't dance. Like, I mean, yes, we dance, right? I can do it. All of your might. Let's get every muscle group involved. (laughs) Make your ears move in worship. All of your might. Is God different than he was yesterday? Did he not achieve a great victory? Is not every victory not his already? Did he not win every battle already? We have every reason to praise and no reason to not praise. I've still got a reason. I've still got a reason. I'll praise right now. I'll dance if you watch. I'll dance if you won't. Then David danced before the Lord with all of his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of trumpet. Some of you need to shout. Some of you need to, to move your feet. Some of you need to wave your hands. Some of you need to just allow yourself to move. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David, here we go, listen, leaping and whirling before the Lord. Leaping and whirling before the Lord. So when I do this next Sunday, don't look at me like I'm crazy. I'm, it's scriptural. I'm just doing what scripture says. And actually, I'm inviting you to join me. Come on. I get so stinking excited on a Sunday morning. Oh, just can't help it. And she just, uh, she saw King David leaping and whirling before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place in the midst of the tabernacle of David that he had erected for it. I have this question, and I don't have a good answer. So if anybody thinks they have an answer, I'm very interested. The ark of God sat in the temple. And then they took a veil, and they put a veil in front of the ark of God. This isn't working well. I didn't practice. And the priest would come in and they would minister here, but they wouldn't go back there because that's the ark of God. And the priest would come in and they'd minister here, but they wouldn't minister back there because that's the ark of God. And then one day a year on the feast of something, one day a year, the priest was to go behind the veil into the presence of God. But it was dangerous because if the priest had sin in his life, he would drop dead. So they would tie a rope around his foot 
So that when he went, let's just pretend like the veil's still up, okay? So that when he went back behind the veil and he was in the presence of God, if he dropped dead, they could grab the rope and just pull him out. Because they didn't want to have to send somebody else in who hadn't prepared themselves because they'd be dead too. <laughs> we're not taught, we're, don't get complacent with the presence of God. Don't get complacent with the presence of God. Sin should always scare us. Scare. Boo! Scare. We should be afraid. One day a year, the priest was to come back here. David says, no, 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 no. I got another plan. Watch this. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this. We're going to put it right here where the people are. And y'all going to come, we're going to gather all around on all four sides, and we're going to worship, and we're going to pray, and we're going to give thanks, and we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, and we're going to give thanks, and we're going to pray, and we're going to worship, and we're going to give thanks, and this is going to go on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for over 30 years, 40 years, all of David's reign, this happened, and it never, ever, 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 ever stopped. David said, hey, you know what? You're all hired. You're all hired. See, Pastor Stacy, for your allotment, we're all going to get an hour, and you're going to come back, and you're going to work in the house of the Lord, and this is your job, to worship and to pray and to give thanks. David hired, I forget what the number is, a thousand people, just to worship God and just to pray and just to give thanks and just to present what was needed in prayer. Come on. We need somebody to fund that. Let's go. Here's my question. I explained all that. Here's my question. How'd David get away with that? Who does he think he is? I don't get it. The priest, one day a year, could go in and see it, and they had to tie a rope around their foot because they might die. And David says, no veil. Right out in the midst. How, how does this happen? I'll tell you how it happens. I have an answer. If I'm wrong, I need that. I'm sorry. I have an answer. You can tell me if, if you think I'm wrong. I'd love to talk to you about this. Anybody, if, you, if you're watching online, you've got this. Email me, Pastor Matt at RedeemerLoveChurch.org. He knew what, who God was so intimately that God told him that this is what he wanted him to do. And that's all he needed. This is why he went and did it. And when his friend, when they were moving the ark, his friend reached out to study it, and his friend died. David was like, I heard from God. I know this is what I'm supposed to do. But I don't understand why he died. He was protecting it. So they stopped. He says, it's all off. Maybe I'm wrong. David doubts himself. He, David was not so prideful that he thought that he knew everything. He said, wait, maybe I got it wrong. Let me go and pray. Take the ark. Put it over here in, in, in Fred and Elizabeth's house. We'll leave it there for a bit. We'll come back. I'm just going to go pray and figure all this out. And he says, no. I, then the word comes and it says, Fred and Elizabeth's house is being blessed off the charts. They got more donkeys than they can handle. They got more grain coming in than they can handle. The, the, the blessings of the Lord are overflowing over there. David says, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. I knew I heard right, I knew I heard right. I knew this is what we were supposed to do. And so David says, we're going to get it. Let me Google search for a second. Looks it up, he says, okay, we did it wrong. We'll go back, we'll do it right. 
They go back, they grab the ark, they come, they bring it, they put it in the presence. Now, to me, this is the most dangerous point, right? Because they've moved the ark from place to place before, and there was a there was a prescribed manner within the law of how they were to move the ark of God. There's nothing prescribed in the law, I've read it a bunch of times, about putting the ark out in the middle and having everybody worship and pray. There's nothing prescribed for that. David did it. It doesn't tell me that any one of those thousands of people that he had hired to worship and pray and give thanks and present the daily need, none of them died because they saw the the, the, the ark of God. He had this intimate relationship with God. And so understand what David's going through here. And let's, let's go back for a moment to 2 Samuel chapter 6. They're bringing the ark of the covenant, and now they arrive in Jerusalem. They started out, they started out down by the city, New York City, and they made it up a ways maybe as far as Kingston, and that's where the cart tipped, and he, and he held it, and the, he touched the ark, and he died, and so they took it off, and they put it in Kingston, but then they went back, and they got it again, and they brought it into Troy, and as they brought the ark into Troy, David was leaping and whirling with all of his might. He was dancing because I'm right. I knew I was right. This is the will of God, and this is what we're to do. Yeah. This is why he's praising because he's seeing the, the presence of God and he's seeing the will of God. He's seeing the word that God spoke to him come true before his very eyes. We're seeing the same thing here at Redeeming Love, guys. Every single week, we're seeing the will of God happen here at Redeeming Love. We're seeing the presence of God happen here at Redeeming Love. Uh, last week, I gave a message. You want to hear, just go and listen to it. The testimonies that have happened here since 2019 are crazy. Pacemakers being removed. Lumps being removed off of people's backs. Pain being gone, kidneys being healed. There's a list. I could go on. This is what God's doing. His presence is here. Why? Come on. David, David's leaping and whirling and praising because he got it right bringing the ark in. And here the presence of God is manifesting before our eyes. We're seeing healings and miracles and we're standing here like, yay, God, do it again. I've seen some of you at football games when they're on TV, and y'all better bring your praise next week. I've seen some of you at your kids' baseball games. Ah, that's great that your kid hit a home run or whatnot, but God did something. And you better bring your praise next week. You're all in trouble because I'm not going to let up, right? I told you I wasn't going to let up. I wasn't going to let up about the word. Like, my dying breath will be, memorize your word. Worship. Worship. Worship, please, by God. Just please, worship. Lift your hands. Lift your voice. Move your feet. Do something. Stop saying you can't do it. You can do it. You just think you can't do it. Just do it. It's not emotionalism. It's a thanks response to God. Give thanks always. It doesn't say to give thanks when times are good. It says give thanks always. Give thanks. It actually says give thanks in all things. God, thank you for COVID. What? I have no idea. Sometimes we don't know. Give thanks. Anybody can give thanks when it's good. God, thank you for my Maser brand new Maserati. 
Listen, I don't want a new car, so don't go buy me one because you guys decided that. Don't, don't do that. God, thank you for my brand new Maserati. How about thank you for my 92 Honda Civic? <laughs> Praise the Lord. It's still transportation. It still gets you from point A to point B. Sometimes we just need to learn to give thanks. That's another message for another day. All right, here we go. On to the message. Just kidding. <laughs> Back to church, guys. I am so passionate about Jesus and what he, what he has done. I'm so passionate about God and his church. I want to say this. The church is God's answer to bring the kingdom of God on the earth. The church is the answer to bring the kingdom of God on the earth. I told you guys, and you guys know this by now, I don't watch the news. I read the news. Article popped up. I don't know where it was from. I read all the news. And um, they said that the crime, the homicides in New Orleans are getting out of control. New Orleans is at 41 per 100,000 homicides, which is extremely high. New York City is 2.5. Chicago, which is a war zone, is 11. New Orleans is 41.5. Cops are leaving the force in droves because it's unsafe. They have 60% of the cops that they need. It's, it's, it's about to go real bad, real fast. What's the solution? The solution is the church. The only solution at this point is the church. The only solution at this point is morality. Without a return to morality, there can be no liberty. The two are hand in glove. You can't have one without the other. Impossible. New Orleans. What's New Orleans known for? Mardi Gras. What's Mardi Gras? Mardi Gras is French. It means Fat Tuesday. Fat Tuesday. What's Fat Tuesday? Fat Tuesday came before Ash Wednesday. And so what was Fat Tuesday? Fat Tuesday was the day. This is, guys, this is all just history, so just look it up if you're wondering. Fat Tuesday was a day where they all went out and they all did all their sins. Not kidding. Fat Tuesday, get fat, really feast up. It started with feasting because Ash Wednesday started a fast. But then it turned into much more than that. And it was all go out and get all your sin on before Ash Wednesday, before we get holy for a little bit. And so now New Orleans is just like, hey, we're Fat Tuesday every day. It's, it's real. You go there any day. There's always a Mardi Gras parade every single day. We're Fat Tuesday. We're Sin Tuesday every day. They're reaping what has been sown for years and years and years and years and years. We need a return to morality. We need a return to the church. If we return to the church, we can save cities. We can save nations. Jesus will save the world. Jesus said, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus will build his church. Jesus will build his church. We have the opportunity, you and I, to be part of what he's doing. God is doing something extraordinary here in Redeeming Love, and he's going to do something extraordinary in the city of Troy. There's people who have been prophesying and speaking encouraging words. 
and every single one of them is the same. It's, this church is about to explode. And I haven't heard it from one person. I've heard it from 10. And so 10 prophets can't be wrong. Redeeming love is about to be launched out into some new ways. We need help. All hands on deck. This book, this series, it's step one in the process. There's a process. Step one in the process. Join us here. God's, God's kingdom is demonstrated. God, God's kingdom and authority is demonstrated on the earth through the church. It's through the church. Every Christian, you call yourself a Christian, every Christian should be an integral part of a body of believers. Every Christian should be an integral part of a church. Get yourself in a church. There's, there's a lot of Christians out there, you know them, and I know them, and they're like, ah, I don't need to go to church. It's me and Jesus. Your gift is... I'm speaking to those who aren't here today. Your gift is needed in here. I need help. I can't do everything on my own. We're about to go out and have an awesome time outside. You know what I did? I didn't do a lot. We have a team of people who helped put all of that together. We need outreaches like what we're going to have this afternoon down into the downtown Troy. Who's going to do it? I, I can't do it. I can't do it myself. We need help. We need help. I'm asking for help. Why? Not because I, I want to grow the church. I want the kingdom of God to come. The kingdom of God is here, and I want to send it forth into all of the world. We're called to engage the world. We engage the world through church. I need, I need people. There's many Christians. Many, many times Christians stay away from the church because they've been hurt in the church. If I asked you, please don't, but if I asked you to raise your hand, who was here was hurt in the church, every hand in the room would go up. We've all been hurt in church. It's kind of, it's kind of part of the deal. You come to church, and then you, you, somebody hurts you. That's just, you, you can't, how many of you are here part of a family? How, you don't have to raise your hands every time I ask these questions. They're kind of rhetorical. I, I raise my hand. I just, I'm going to ask some questions. I don't want you to raise your hands. How many of us here are part of a family? How many of us have been hurt in our family? Right? Our brother said something stupid. Our sister said something stupid. Did something. Whatever. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah. The Bible says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. God takes us, he's got this genius plan, and he puts us together with other people that rub us the wrong way. It's called iron sharpens iron, so that we can be brought to a better and more complete place, so that we can learn how to forgive. How do you learn how to forgive? By being offended repeatedly over and over and over again, until you can no longer be offended. I've been offended enough times to the point where I'm like, oh, they didn't mean it. Well, they didn't mean it that way. Well, maybe they did mean it that way, but that's okay. They did mean it that way, and it's not okay, but I'm not going to get upset about it because I want to forgive them. Do you see my process here? Man, that was good. Some, that was good. And you guys didn't respond at all. No, it's too late now. It's too late. No. <laughs> I'm not offended. I'm not even offended a little. I'm more, I'm more like, they didn't get it. <laughs> we've been hurt by things that others have done unintentionally we've been hurt because we've taken things the wrong way we've been hurt by miscommunication we've been hurt by selfish leaders we've been hurt by bad leaders we've been hurt by the sins of others I could go on all day about how we get hurt in church nobody's perfect including you 
Pastor Tom's getting close. <laughs> I knew he would say that. That's why I picked on him. I know Pastor Carol's getting close. These guys are hilarious. The fact that we've been hurt doesn't discount the fact that we need to be connected to a body of believers. The fact that we've been hurt doesn't discount the fact that we need, need, need to be connected to a body of believers. Getting hurt, guys, sorry to say, uh, yes, Jesus is Lord, but getting hurt is just part of the process. And as we get over being hurt, we become more mature in our faith. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the God. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? What was the joy that was set before Jesus? You. It was you. It was a relationship with you. With you. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, there was joy that he was looking at as he endured the cross. The cross was not pleasant. He didn't enjoy the cross. I don't want to mix anything up. But he had a joy that was set before him, and it was you. That's the joy. He says, this is horrific, and I will endure it because there's joy on the other side. And that joy is the fact that I get to have a relationship with anyone who would choose. And now watch this, James 1, 2, consider pure joy when you come into various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance so that you may be mature and complete, lacking no good thing. Our joy, our joy is the same thing from the opposite side. Jesus' joy was you. Your joy is him. The joy is this relationship. If this joy, this relationship that I've been walking out for 30 years and I've come to believe is the greatest thing on earth that I couldn't want to, that I wouldn't want to live a day without, this relationship with Jesus is the greatest joy in my life. So much so that when trials come, the, car, the tire falls off the car or, you know, I run out of gas or it breaks down or, else, I don't know, the, the vegetable garden goes to pot and I get nothing that year. I don't know, what, whatever kind of trial you, you might want to throw in there. The, they don't stop all the trials. It's joy because it's developing my faith and bringing me to a point of perfection in my relationship with him. This is the plan of God from the beginning. The plan of God from the beginning, God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he walked with them in the cool of the day, day after day after day after day after day after day after day. And then Adam and Eve sin and they're kicked out of the garden and the presence of God was no more. Couldn't do it, can't have it, no more relationship. But Jesus... When he came and he died on the cross, he covered every sin so that you and I could come to a place of relationship with God once again. We have the right to have relationship with Jesus. We have the privilege 
of walking in the garden with God every single day of our life. And most of us, even the mature Christians here, don't do it. Let's be honest. If there's an invitation for us to enter in, hey, come aside with me. We're like, oh, no, no, no I'm, I'm busy. I got to get up. I got to run to work. No, 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 I'm busy. I got I to gotta go home and crush tomatoes. I, no, 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 I'm busy. I got to go and watch the game. No, 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 I'm busy. I got to, got to, got to, got to. Yeah, we got to, got to, got to, got to. But we get to be in relationship with him. So for those of you who are Christians, those of you who have this relationship, guys, I want to I encourage you. Just start making the most of it. Get together with Jesus. He is always waiting. Just like Pastor Stacy was saying, he is always pursuing us. He is always waiting. All we have to do is say, are you there, God? Sometimes it takes longer than others, but he's always there. David said in Psalm 139, even if I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. Even there, your hands shall guide me. Are you kidding me? I have these keys up here because I had a sermon illustration that I was going to use when we got to keys, but we didn't get there. If you're here today and you hear me talking about this relationship with Jesus and you've never made the decision to enter into a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. Deciding to follow Jesus is the greatest decision that you will ever make in your life. Greatest decision I ever made, following Jesus. Second greatest decision I ever made, marrying my wife. Greatest decision you will ever make is entering into a relationship with Jesus. This isn't about a church. This isn't about rules and regulations. This isn't about some funny club that we all belong to. I'm not trying to sell you a parachute because they're cool or this is fun. I'm trying to sell you a parachute because the plane's going down, guys, and we're all going to die. But the relationship with Jesus is what saves us. That's our parachute. The world is set on a course, and because of sin in our life, the plane is going down, and it's going to crash, and we're all going to die. But there is a way of salvation. There is a parachute to get out of the plane, and his name is Jesus. If you're here today and you want to accept Jesus, I just want to pray for you, and I want to pray with you. Let's all just bow our heads. If you're here today and that's you and you want this relationship with God, I want you to just pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Come and live inside my heart. Help me to live for you all of the days of my life. I believe that you are the son of God, that you came from heaven to earth, that you died on the cross for my sins. You, you were buried and rose on the third day and you sit at the right hand of God right now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, you just entered into that relationship with Jesus. It'd be as simple as me saying to you, hey, I'd like for you to meet Fred. I just said, hey, I want you to meet Jesus. And now you can talk to Jesus just the same way that you talk to your friend. It's called prayer. We talk to Jesus through prayer. And as we talk with him, we can share all of our heart with him. And he'll share all of his heart with us.
and he'll take you on this journey that is extraordinary, the greatest adventure of your life. As I end today, I just want to say that Jesus is in love with the church. Jesus is, is in love with the church. There's people who don't like the church, and there's people who talk bad about the church. And I have a real big problem with preachers who will talk negatively about any church, whether it's of my stream or not. I won't talk bad about a denominational church that I don't agree with theology because Jesus loves them. Actually, my Bible says that Jesus died for that church. He died for that church. He's in love with that church. So I don't like when people talk badly about other churches. That's not okay. It's not okay that you talk bad about my friend. It's not okay that you talk bad about my kids or my brothers or my sisters. Don't do it. All right, I'll get off of that. God's plan to bring his kingdom is the church. Father, we thank you today. God, I thank you for every person here. God, I thank you for every salvation today, every person who has given their life to the Lord. God, we give you glory and honor in Jesus' name, and we ask that you would move mightily, even as we fellowship afterwards with food and hot dogs and, and sodas and whatnot. God, move here in Jesus' name. Amen.